scripture reading uh, and you, you thought, well, I missed that one and I, I might have missed that one. I wasn't paying attention to that one. Uh, you can, we're, we video record all of these messages and we put them up on our website. So if you missed any of those fruits that we read, read through there, uh, you can go on our website at fellowshipch.org and, and watch them on there. But please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that even though there's a myriad of messages out there, all clamoring to get our attention and our devotion, Lord, we know that there's only one. And there's only one that we can cling to, that we can anchor our souls into, and that is your word. We thank you that you have given it to us. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through it, that we may read it and it may impart life to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We do this funny little thing as kids and, and sometimes as adults, and that's making a wish on something, right? We make a wish on the first star that appears in the nighttime sky. We make a wish before we blow out our candles on our birthday cake. We make a wish when we throw a penny into a fountain. Here's one that I thought was always a little odd. And it was, <laughs> we make a wish when somebody else finds one of our eyelashes on our face, takes it off of our face and holds it in front of us and says, make a wish and we're supposed to blow that eyelash out of the other person's fingers. Some of you, never heard of that, huh? Okay, all right. <laughs> I didn't make it up, don't worry. All right. <laughs> it's a silly thing, but there's this underlying thought that can be connected to a whole belief system. And that's this, just believing in something or having faith in something or thinking there's this faceless entity somewhere out there that if we wish or spend it, uh, send enough positive thoughts out into the universe hard enough, Something like the universe will send good karma back to us. The basic belief with that is that if you, if you simply believe enough, it will come true. It sounds nice enough if Jiminy Cricket tells us, but what's the underlying basis for all of it? Nothing. That's the underlying basis for all of it. Nothing. What are the stars going to do for you? Nothing. They're inanimate globes of burning gas. What are a bunch of nice sayings by a dead guy going to do for you? Nothing. He's dead. You know what's culturally popular to say you believe in now? The universe. That's it. Just, just the universe. The universe rewards you for doing good and the universe punishes you for doing bad. But with all these beliefs, the underlying faith, the underlying belief is that it's all based on yourself. That's what it's all based on. What if you fail? Can the universe save you? No. If you do something really bad, is there any hope for you? No. It's all focused on yourself and how good you can be. And you determine what should be considered good and what should be considered bad. What if you determine that something you did was good, but someone else determines that that same thing was actually bad? Does the universe get confused? 
as to what it should be rewarding and what it should be punishing. If one really stopped and thought about it, believing in a belief that's based on how good you can be is terrifying. Believing a belief that's based on how good you can be is terrifying. What happens when it's all over? How do you know if you were good enough? So in this world of myriads of messages of what faith is or what believing in something means, what is faith? When we speak of believing in God to somebody else, what does the Bible actually teach about what believing in God really means, really is? Is having faith in God merely closing your eyes as tight as can be and saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, until you feel like it's true? Is that what believing in God is? A lot of Christians are walking around believing this non-biblical belief that they believe in God and that they could stop believing in God if they wanted to, and they're walking this thin line of, I hope I don't lose my faith in God. But that's a completely non-biblical belief, which we'll find out today. This one word in our list of the fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness, will hopefully dispel these lies of what faith is and what faith isn't, and unlock for us what faith, even what faith in God really is. So do me a favor as we're heading into this this morning. Do me a favor. Let's set aside our preconceptions of what faith is, and let's see what the Bible actually says about what faith in God really is. Can we all do that? All right. So the first point that we come to in our, in our uh, message this morning is what it is, what faith is. What we've already talked about are incredibly weak versions of how somebody could describe faith. Why? Because they're all based on yourself. And guess what? We're weak. So if a faith is based on us, then that faith is automatically weak. It's doomed to begin with. So what does the Bible teach us about faith? In order to understand this, we need to look at the word that's translated for us here in our passage this morning as faithfulness, and at the same time, look at the context of it as laid out in this list of the fruits of the Spirit. The Greek word for faith or faithfulness is the word pistis. We'll get to that word in a moment, but I first want to look at the root word for pistis, and that is this word, pytho. Pytho means to persuade into having confidence. That's what the word pytho means, to persuade into having confidence. In a negative light, con men win your trust by being what? Very persuasive to win your confidence. In fact, Greek pagan religion, which some of Paul's Galatian believers no doubt came from in background, and all all the Galatians had some knowledge of cultural and linguistically, there was a, a, a Greek goddess named Pytho. There was a Greek goddess named Pytho. Pytho was the goddess of persuasion, and she hung out with the Greek goddess Aphrodite, or the, or the goddess of love. So what would happen is rich women eligible for marriage would in, invite lots of male suitors to win her heart. 
So if you were one of those male suitors, you would pray to Pytho to persuade that woman to marry you. I suppose if there were multiple men trying to get Pytho to persuade the woman on their behalf, you'd have to first persuade Pytho why she should persuade the woman that you were the best one. Could get kind of confusing, couldn't it? This word Pytho, the root word for pistis, is quite telling when it comes to faith, which is the word pistis. Why? Because just as it is linguistically, Pistis is completely reliant upon Pytho. Just as it is linguistically, Pistis is completely reliant upon Pytho. And therefore, what that means is faith is completely reliant upon persuasion. Faith is completely reliant upon persuasion. Faith is not something that comes out of nowhere or from a vacuum. It's not something you casually identify yourself with, but will drop it when something better comes along. One cannot accidentally fall into faith. Faith is directly connected with persuasion. Persuasion from whom to who? Very good. From God to us. It's not yourself to yourself. It's not trying to convince yourself that something is true. Because then what would that faith logically be in? Yourself. Faith in God cannot be you convincing yourself that he is true. Because that is not what faith is. In order to be faith, the one being trusted needs to be the one doing the persuading. The one needing to be trusted is the one doing the persuading. So what does that tell us about faith? That faith in the so-called universe is illogical because the universe does not care or seek to persuade you to have faith in it. It's just there. It doesn't care whether or not you have any faith in any perceived power. So therefore, it's not actual faith no matter what kind of spin you put on it. What does that tell us about faith in God? That faith in Him is not us convincing ourselves of His trustworthiness. Faith in God is not us convincing ourselves of His trustworthiness. It's God persuading us of his trustworthiness. We'll get to more of that in a minute, but this directly connects to what faith really is. The word for faith, pistis, means confidence. The word for faith literally means confidence. Its origin is God's persuasion that leads to our confidence in him and his will. Because of this, the word pistis is very often used for another meaning. In ancient secular writings, pistis very often was used to describe a guarantee or a warranty. Think about it. If you're looking at the exact same product info, but from two different vendors, what's going to convince you to buy that product from one, ven one vendor as opposed to the other? What guarantee or warranty each of the vendors is offering. Why? 
Because you have confidence that they're backing up that what they're selling is a quality product. And that relates directly to what faith really is. In the same way, faith in God is him persuading you to trust him because he's confident in the quality of what he's offering to you. There's no stronger act of persuasion or leading to confidence, is there? God's love for you is what he's selling, so to speak. Now, have you ever heard of a vendor willing to die to convince you of the quality of their product? No, I don't think any vendor cares that much about their product to be willing to die for it. Yet that's exactly what God did for each of us in order to persuade us of the perfection of his goodness, the quality of his product. So faith in God, in essence, is God's guarantee of his goodness that he persuades us to have confidence in. Do you see where the focus is automatically placed now? Holy on God's shoulders, isn't it? Faith in God really has nothing to do with us, nor anything we can conjure up, nor how much or how little we think we have. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. Because it's God giving it to us. That's what leads us to our second point. What it is, secondly, the source not only is the meaning of faith wrapped up in its linguistic definition, we have biblical evidence for its sole source. In Ephesians 2, this is what we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's not anything you can come up with, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God persuading us of his goodness is his gift to us. He doesn't need to do that, but yet he chose to anyway because he loves us too much. He knew that we as humans were always going to falter. Do you think that God is this giant bully that says it's your job to believe in me and if you don't, stinks to be you? No, he knew we weren't going to be able to believe him of our own accord. So he set about doing the persuading himself, coming after us and persuading us of his love. He loves us so much that he pursues us in order to persuade us of his goodness anew every day. We've all had that teacher in school who would lay down the ground rules on the first day of school and say, your homework, papers, and projects are your responsibility. I'm not going to chase you down for them or remind you when they're due. Anybody here have a teacher like that? That's what they said on the first day of school. But God understands our weakness and that we're always going to let him down. And yet still persuades us. Still gives us the gift of being confident in his will. We live in a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps society, don't we? If you don't, you're considered by the world to be a failure. <coughs> Excuse me. But God has never set those unrealistic stipulations on faith. 
He's never said, just have more faith and get over it. He's never said that. But yet we choose to believe that. Actually, and quite oppositely, he said this in Romans 12. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. <coughs> God gives to each of his children a portion of faith or enough persuasion to be convinced of his promises, but that portion does not stay at its original level. That's why it's also a fruit of the Spirit. It grows over time with each new experience and each new period of being stretched and forced out of our comfort zones. And as we go through more time and more strengthening experiences, that confidence in God's promises grows, thus increasing our faithfulness to God. This isn't always the case, but if a child is adopted by parents, that child can still be trusting of their new parents, but that trust grows more and more over the years as they spend more time with their parents and their parents prove their love for that child over the years. What little trust that child may have started out that relationship with, with their parents, over time grows to an unwavering trust in those parents. But see, in that case, and as an illustration for faith, it wasn't the adopted child's job to increase their trust in their parents, was it? It wasn't the kid's job to increase their trust in their parent, nor would it be fair for someone to tell that child that they need to conjure up more trust in those parents, right? It wouldn't be fair to tell a child that. Whose job is it to increase and grow that child's trust in his or her parents? The parent's job, right? In the same way, telling someone to just have more faith. Or even trying to believe that for ourselves is just as unfair and just as illogical as telling that adopted child that in connection with his or her parents and not the way God created faith to be at all. God has always known that it's His job to persuade us to trust Him more and more and more. Again, he doesn't have to, but he loves us too much to not do that. So we see what faith is. We see what the source of it is. And thirdly, what that means for us. When you're lying on your bed in the middle of the night, and as King David once penned, your sheets are soaked with your tears, and you cry out, why can't I have more faith? You don't need to just try to believe more. Or just have more faith. Get rid of that. Get rid of that thinking. In fact, it has nothing to do with anything you can do or can't do. It has nothing to do with any of that. That's incredibly freeing, isn't it? When the disciples cried out to Jesus, those famous words, increase our faith. What was Jesus' response? 
the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. What did Jesus mean by this? He didn't mean that if you just believe hard enough, you'll be able to do whatever you want. That's not what he meant there. What he meant is that the level of your faith is completely dependent on God. He gives you a portion to begin with, but then grows that faith over time and walking with you. Being persuaded by God in the truth of his promises gives you the confidence that whatever he leads you to do, he will do through you. Whatever he leads you to do, he will do through you. It's being so near to God and aware of what he's doing that your confidence in him is unwavering, even if it leads you to do something unexplainable, that your confidence is unwavering. We've all had someone in our lives that we've trusted so much, especially when we were younger, that if they said, I want you to do this, even if it didn't make sense at the time, we had full confidence that things would work out, right? The Bible speaks of having childlike faith in God, doesn't it? That doesn't mean we blindly believe in something. It means that we have so much confidence and trust in our Heavenly Father, like a child would someone he looked up to, that we know everything will work out for good. God's Word tells us that. When we cry out to God, give me more faith in this situation, he may often bring back memories of times in the past when he provided or gave comfort or worked something out better than you imagined at the time. That's one of his ways of saying, have I ever let you down? Tell me, have I, have I ever let you down? Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's substitute a couple synonymous words that these English words could also mean in the Greek. And we have a much more compelling statement. Now faith is the assurance of things expected, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is the persuasion by God to us of things we should expect to happen according to his will, things we may not see or understand. Foundationally, faith is God's persuasion to us to expect him to come through on his promises. Faith is us being persuaded by God to expect him to come through on his promises. It's him persuading us to know our souls are already saved to spend eternity with him. It's him persuading us to know that he will provide for our needs, comfort and grow us in dark and difficult times, give us relief when we need it, bring about healing that gives him the most glory in showing us and others his presence, and giving us power and strength when we need it. 
as he convinces us by his actions over and over and over time, the fruit of faithfulness, that is our unwavering confidence in him, will grow. And the more our faithfulness towards God himself grows, the more faithfulness towards the things he has called us to will grow. That includes our marriages, our families, our ministries, and the ways that God calls us to serve him outside of our comfort zones. We will seek to be used more and more by him and desire to remain faithful to those promptings. So faith is not just believing hard enough. Faith is being persuaded by God to expect that he will come through on his promises. Let us be a people who is persuaded and convinced of the perfection and goodness of God's promises. Let us hold fast to our confidence in him. Let that confidence in God flow into how we serve him and our faithfulness to serving him as we seek to show this world what faith really is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fruit of the Spirit that you have listed for us in Galatians. We thank you that you did not leave us on our own. You gave us our faith, and you're growing that faith. Lord, thank you for persuading us, giving us that confidence in your perfection, your will, your goodness, and your love for us. We thank you that it's all laid out for us in your word. Lord, I pray that we would open ourselves up more and more to being persuaded by you. Have that faith grow. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing.